Hello, I am Lady Ash. Welcome to Life on Canvas, the podcast. This is where living your best life becomes the focal point. We will look at life from a positive perspective and explore tools and techniques that can help you to paint and create a fabulous picture of success for your life's portrait. Hit the subscribe button. Listen up. Let us find some creative solutions together. In this episode, we're talking about the dark underpaintings of emotional abuse. Now, the dark underpaintings in an actual painting is really the first color that you put on your painting. It's usually darker in some areas to give the painting depth and character. Now, I call them dark underpaintings in real life because these are the stresses, the challenges, the hard times that we go through that build us as a person, give us character and strengthen us to do more with our lives and to go through our daily activities. Now, emotional abuse by definition is basically when an adult mistreats a child. You judge them, you threaten them, you reject them, and you will withhold feelings of love from them. And sometimes you will even go as far as to say, that they're worthless and they're no good. Unfortunately, that was my reality as a child. And for 17 years at home, I was abused emotionally and otherwise. But in this, we're talking about emotional abuse. Now, this has made me very sensitive. And of course, as a teenager growing up, I did not know how to process this. I didn't even know what it was. All I knew was how to just get through each day and to just try and do the best I can to cope with the life that I was given. Now, we're going to add color and highlights to this painting by talking about some of the things that happened. As a child, I found art as my savior. I used to wallpaper my pit latrine or what we call in Jamaica pit toilet where I took pictures from magazines and I would paste them on the inside of the toilet. I used those pictures as my window to the outside world because I didn't have any electricity. So I had no television and my father had a battery operated radio that of course you couldn't touch. So I didn't have much to um, learn from then. We had little or no books, just the books that the government issued. And um, I just decided to create a whole world for myself through these magazines that my mom would take home from work. And of course, we use <laughs> the newspaper and some of the magazines as um, toilet paper for us to use the bathroom. It is what it is. It's life on canvas. I'm keeping it real. So that was just my reality then. And I didn't really have a lot of persons to look up to as a child. Growing up in the inner city, in the ghettos, when you are poor, all you have around you are poor people and poverty. Um, but there were persons who were in tune with God. There were persons who... Um, were making a living. There were persons who were entertaining for me. And so I just look forward to three persons in particular. Um, there was Mr. Ozzy. Mr. Ozzy was a Rastafarian who used to live on Waterloo Road. That's before Waterloo Road um, became um, developed. He used to live in a space um, under a mango tree in a little hut and he used to cut grass for my landlord's goats. And there were a lot of 
Bombay mangoes around him. And Mr. Ozzy was a very simple man. He used to burn coal and he sold the coal and put the money that he earned in his tam um, inside of his dreadlocks. And when he drinks at the rum bar and got drunk, he would just say, praise God and live. <laughs> and he would just throw the money <laughs> all over the bar take off his thumb and that's how he would lose his money a lot but Mr. Ozzy was a very simple man and he was a friend of my father's and he would visit the house and come and share with us and you know tell us stories and so on and he used to bring me mangoes he was very fond of me he used to tell me a lot of stories and he used to always talk about God and just living a simple life. I am going to get emotional, so forgive me for that. But Mr. Ozzy was one of those persons that made me feel like a person and made me felt um, like I mattered. And I give thanks for him. God rest his soul. Then um, the other person was Mr. Sonny. No, Mr. Sonny was a union delegate. And as a child, that I didn't know what that meant. But as an adult, I realized how important a union delegate is. And... Having been one myself and being a part of um, the union, it is so important to have persons to be there for you, to support you, to help you through hard times and to be an advocate for the things that you want when sometimes you don't have a voice for yourself. So that was Mr. Sonny. And then the third person was Miss Rainis. Miss Rainis was a friend of my mom and Miss Rainis was just a wonderful woman. She was just amazing. She had, well, three beautiful or maybe four kids, I think. But I used to see three of them all the time. And she took very good care of her family. She lived on the other side of um, Grand Spend near Shortwood Road. And she would visit my moms and they would spend a lot of time talking about her employer and all the things that was happening in her life. And I used to just sit under the cellar and listen to the stories. And I was quite entertained <laughs> by Miss Rainis and the things that she would talk about. Um, she was a very decent woman and her, her stories always make me feel that there must be more to life than just living, than just living to be a household helper to live at the whims and fancy of others and to just live from a very meager existence. So those were the three persons who I had to look up to. Um, it was very challenging for me to deal with Mr. Sonny for a lot of different reasons, but Mr. Ozzy was my man. I looked forward to seeing him. I sometimes would climb the church tree, just looking out to see when he was coming, um, because I know he's coming with a lot of good vibes a good life. Now, my father was very different. He was, he had times when he was very pleasant and very happy and cheerful. And he taught me a lot of stuff, especially about the Bible. And he taught me, you know, we used to spend a lot of time talking about God too. But I think my father was, was um, in a bad place for most of the life that I remember him having. He was very abusive verbally and physically. He drank. So of course he would come home from the rum bar and he was just talking a lot of crazy things. Um, I'm not sure if he, he was really joking, but some of the things he said he never did. 
But then he went ahead and did things that nobody thought he would have. Father was very troubled and he used to drink a lot and smoke marijuana and just say crazy things. Some of the crazy things he said, he actually never did, but I honestly believe that he was going to. One of the things he used to tell me is, I'm going to kill everybody in this family. Like graphically explaining how he's going to hang us up on the light poles and on the light wire and everybody would pass and see us up there. I mean, gruesome, ugly descriptions of how he's going to murder everybody in the family. Things that you would see in like horror movies. And he would say these things to us. And I mean, I remember asking him, Daddy, you're going to kill me too? And he said, yes, you're the first one. And of course, followed by expletives before and after um, that statement and... I used to be so, so afraid of my father. So afraid that he was going to murder us. And I was like, I'm just a child. I can't die. But then after years of seeing him sharpening his cutlass with his file, just sitting down, sharpening, saying, I'm going to kill you all. One day I'm going to be alone in this house because everybody's going to die. Is <laughs> It's scary, but after a while it became the norm. And... My thing is, look, if I'm going to die, I'm going to live. <laughs> so I used to run away from home. I used to go to the next door yard to play dandy shandy. I used to just live my life like there was an engine revving in it. Now, I'm not going to blame my dad for being the mischievous um, child that I was and inquisitive. But I really, really just lived every day because I don't know if when I get home, my father is going to follow through with his threats of killing us all. So I used to play hard. I used to fight hard. I used to just survive. And I think that is where my resilience came in. And my outlook on life is what is the worst that could happen? And the worst that could happen is that you're going to die. And guess what? I lived through that. So um, I am going to live even if I'm going to die because we all are going to die. So guess what? I'm going to get about the business of living and stop focusing on dying right and so that was my reality those were the things some of the things that my father used to say um to me as a child and it just used to scare me it has damaged me and because of this I become very sensitive especially when I'm threatened um my guards go up because as I said he did not kill us obviously but he did other things that were very, very bad. And so living a, in a home like that and growing up in that space was very, very difficult. Um, as a child, I used to run away. I used to go to my Auntie Devon, who was a very good example, but she didn't come around a lot. We had to go to her when we wanted to see her. Her and her brother, Uncle Dennis, they were, um, Auntie Devon was a teacher, Uncle Dennis was a tailor. And so they were excellent examples of, um, you know, people who I could be or, or live to be, but they weren't friends of the family. So I didn't get to absorb a lot of the things that they did. I didn't learn a lot from them in terms of, you know, all the things that I need to, to, to aspire to, to become who they were. As I told you before, the three persons that I mentioned were pretty much the ones that were around. And so, um, I had to prepare myself to live. And in preparing myself to live, one of the things I used to do was play a lot and because I figured that 
if I play, I'm enjoying myself. And if I'm enjoying myself, at least I can be the happiest I can be before nightfall and my dad comes home with all his threats of killing us and all the other things that he wanted to do. The man was so crazy that he would get us up out of bed two, three o'clock in the morning threatening to kill us we having to run away from the house my mom having to run away from the house in the night sometimes we don't have any school uniform for the next day because we're so afraid to go back home because we're we don't know what state he would be in um when we get there and you know we all were afraid my mom included so it was just difficult so i used to play school every evening after school and that was just me having fun and i guess getting out the energies that I had of the day. And so whilst I'm playing school, I'm beating the tree and the stone. And I used to use the wall as the blackboard. And I used to just go over what I learned in school as the teacher. And um, I would pretend to be the teacher. And I would say, stop your noise in the classroom. Sean Ashman, you make too much noise. Come over here. And, you know, I would beat the stones and the trees just to pretend that I was in school. Because, again, in school, if you don't perform, if you're disruptive, if you talk out of turn, if you don't know your times table, you're going to get beat down. And I mean, I'm not talking about a slap. You're getting hard licks. I went to a primary school and it was just painful. It was just painful. Um, I remember my times table. I couldn't say <laughs> the times table without singing it. So I'd say two, ones, two, two, twos, four, two, three, six, two, fours, eight. But if the teacher says two tens, I couldn't say 20. I'd have to start from the beginning to sing two words two. And by the time I got to two five, I'm getting beat because you need to know it. You need to know them right off the bat. And when you're called upon, you need to be able to recite the correct um, number. Now, of course, um, I just went through school. Some things I remember, some things I don't. I just know that God brought me through a lot of these things because I just don't know how I made it. And so, as I say, I prepared myself to live. I prepared myself to survive. And that has been my modus operandi up to being an adult to this very day. So when people threaten me and talk nonsense and shout at me and do all of that stuff, yes, it, it causes me to step back. It causes me to, to think because um, I feel threatened. And yes, sometimes I'll cry, but at the end of the day, that is just strengthening me to move forward, strengthening me to, you know, focus on, on my objectives in life and my plan in life so that I can overcome and just to live with a fire in my heart. And so everything that I do, I do on purpose. Everything that I do, I do with passion because everything that I do is for an outcome. And that outcome is for my better development. So those are the details that we're adding to this painting today. But guess what? You have the power. You have the power within you to paint over the dark underpaintings of abuse. You have the power to paint over anything that is in your life portrait that you don't like. So if you experience emotional abuse, it's hard, I know. And there you may be at a stage in your life when you're going to lash out and somebody says something hurtful to you and you lash out and you say hurtful things back or you even fight them and that sort of thing. Those are the things that I did and of course not promoting for you to do. And of course that was when I was a child, teenager and so on. But you have to come up with strategies as a human being, as an adult to 
overcome these emotional abuse. You can't let it sink down into your brain. You can't let it penetrate you and determine who you show up to be. So I like to cry. I guess it's my go-to. So sometimes I go into the bathroom at work and I cry. I cry in my bed. I cry. I cry. I cry. Crying is good. For me, it's very therapeutic. It helps to dull the pain. It makes me feel so much better. After I blow my nose, I feel so good. (laughs) It detoxifies me and it soothes me. I just feel so loved when I cry because God built in me a mechanism to help me to cope with emotional abuse. So I use my crying tool. It is okay to cry. Sometimes you'll have somebody around you to support you, sometimes not. But it's okay to cry. And a lot of our Jamaican men don't know that it's okay to cry and they believe they can't cry, but it's okay to cry. It's the first step for me in the process of healing. Now, the next thing I do is I make a plan. So when I am faced with a challenge, I write down how I feel in my journal. As an adult, I journal every day and I write down the things I go through, how they make me feel. And I write down what I can do the next time I'm faced with this challenge. One of my go-to is always to pray. And sometimes if you document how you feel over time and then you meet with certain outcomes, you realize that you are actually manifesting what you're writing on or you're actually manifesting how you feel. A friend of mine recently shared a story about a near-death experience and I say to him, do you journal or do you remember how you are feeling like six weeks before this happened? Um, Did you know that you manifest this? And he says, yes, because in those weeks he remembered that he felt like he wanted to die. And so it comes right out into his life. So I make a plan for what I want. I tell myself and I hear the things that I want people to say about me for the persons who are mean to me. I make a visual representation of what I want to manifest in my life on my vision board. Sometimes I use it as a screensaver. Whatever it is I want, I come up with a visual representation of it, right? Don't focus on what is showing up. You have the power mentally to change the picture. And once the picture is changed in your head, the outcome will be different. Your actions will be different. Once you see things from a different perspective, then you will act differently because you're seeing things differently now and your outcome will be different. Now, if you're in a situation where it's an abusive situation at work, at home, in a relationship, wherever you are, you have to make a plan. You have to make an exit strategy. I made an exit strategy from my parents' home and as soon as I was 17 years old, I was gone. I have been in abusive relationships and I made exit strategies and that's how I got out. Every circumstance that you're in, every situation that you're in, you have the power to get out by creating a plan and be very clear about what it is that you need. And if you need help, you get the help that you need to execute your plan. And your plan doesn't involve harming others. Your plan doesn't involve 
doing evil things, your plan involves taking away yourself. Take yourself away from the situation that confronts you. And I know for a lot of us, this is hard. The fear alone cripples you and you don't want to move. But you have to find the strength. You already have the strength. The fact that you are in this situation means that you already have the power to get out of it. This journey on earth is a life experience. It's a school. We have to learn. We have to push ourselves. We have to push our comfort zones. And when, when we look back, we said, oh my word, it wasn't so hard. Thank you, Jesus. But you do have to believe in God and have faith that whatever it is, you visualize and just know that you know that it will come through and that you will come out on a better person on the other side. So sometimes when I'm faced with challenges and, and my God, I, I feel so proud because recently, just last week, I was in a situation where um, someone did something that was very mean to me. And normally my anxiety would kick in and I would feel so bad. And the next thing you know, I'll be crying. And guess what? My reaction was zero. Why? Because I'm over it. I have learned over time that people will always be people. They will always do and say the things that make them feel good because they're insecure and they're small. And you have to find a way to empower yourself and to step away from those suggestions, those ideas, those um, aggression, and know within yourself that, look, you're in the space of love. You're doing the best that you can. And that's all you need to do. Find a thought, an idea. Remember your why. Whatever it is you need to do, to keep you in a good space and to keep you grounded, right? And this takes time. And, and I know this is something I've worked on for a minute. But when I got the results last week, I was feeling so good because I did not take it personally. It did not affect me emotionally. And I was just able to smile and say, boy, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And I just left it there. Some things that you can say to yourself, you can come up with an affirmation. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm a child of God and he loves me. Whatever it is that you do, you replace that thought and that feeling with a different thought and a different feeling. You have to live your life on canvas because you are in fact a work of art. You have the power to paint out the dark underpaintings and paint instead a beautiful, colorful picture for your life. One of the things I love, absolutely love, is just music. I remember when I was in Wisconsin doing my first degree, I was so stressed and depressed and Bojo Banton. Yes, Bojo, are you bring me true? Not an easy road. I play that song every single day and it strengthened me and it helped me to go through every single day, graduating top 5% of my class and making the dean's list every semester, etc., 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 getting national awards, um, academic awards. I didn't say state awards, national awards. So I know that it is possible and you just need to find a tool that works for you. Some songs that I love, Lion Paw. Sometimes I draw off of the Taurus, Taurus Riley. I'm going to sing out, you know, sometimes you just need to play that song in your car over and over again. Tina Turner, my girl, simply the best because that's what I am. Tracy Chapman, I was born to fight. Christina Aguilera, fighter. You find that song that works for you, that connects with you, that resonates with you. And whenever you're in those situations, just draw for some music, draw for an affirmation, right? 
And as Terra Fabulous said, no retreat, no surrender. We nah lotion, pet, nor powder. Yeah, you have to stick with what works for you. Find a tool, find something that works. Because at the end of the day, there are mean people out there who are hurting and hurt people or hurt others. And they don't know how to deal with life. And so they abuse others who they presume are weaker than them and for some of us unfortunately we are not in the position to fight back so we just have to take it but guess what when it comes it doesn't have to penetrate us you just put up your wall let it bounce off and you move on with your life because you have a clean heart and a clean mind <laughs> so whatever you do in life find creative solutions they are always available to you and they will help you to deal with your life. Paint over the dark underpaintings of emotional abuse and live your best creative life. Creativity is taking the best skills and techniques from experts around you and improving upon them. So go ahead and use your new skills to paint your masterpiece. I am Lady Ash and you have been listening to Live on Canvas. You can follow me on YouTube at Lady Ash TV or on my website at seanashman.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and rate this podcast. Join me next week for another episode of Live on Canvas.